Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero. Kelly Grayson is, uh, again, doing his best paramedic stuff, serving the citizens of Louisiana. He won't be joining us today, but uh, we hope that he's doing well in his efforts. You know, I, I got to tell you, I mean, we, we've done a really good job, I think, over the past few weeks of talking about a lot of COVID-related uh, you know, topics, you know, we're talking about PPE, we're talking about how are we addressing clinical care, we're talking about strategic, uh, uh, you know, procedure, you know, we're talking about how are we educating the, the communities. But here's something I think we're not talking about. And this is something that is really kind of bugging me as an EMS provider, bugging me as an EMS leader, that we truly have to bring some, you know, uh, eyes to. And, you know, uh, I talked about it last week on last week's show. You know, Scott Phelps sent me a list of 15 names of uh, private EMS uh, paramedics, EMTs, who have died in the line of duty because of COVID-related illness. And those people will not, those families will not receive line of duty deaths because, not that they didn't do their job, but because they're private EMS. And, you know, we've talked about it before on this show where, you know, that now that uh, individuals in, in EMS will have the opportunity to have retirement benefits, but not private EMS. And now this discussion about, you know, four months of tax-free, federal tax-free uh, work uh, is great, but it doesn't include private EMS. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm hitting this private EMS thing because it is really got my hands in the air. It's really got my Italian blood boiling, and we have to be able to discuss it. Well, well, here's another one that doesn't include private EMS. This federal and re- this federal uh, federal funding and relief bill that everybody's hearing about this 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 billions and trillions of dollars that are being thrown around. Guess guess who it doesn't include? Right, private EMS. Well, today our guest is senior vice president of strategic initiatives for Acadian Ambulance, Asbel Montez, and he's going to kind of give us his take. We're going to kind of talk about this. You know, this, uh, how we're kind of left behind in the private world. And, and Mr. Montes, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Thank you, Chris, for allowing us the opportunity as well. Um, and I sense your passion and my, and our passion is the same when it comes to private EMS. And we like to, to say that private EMS is, you know, woven into the infrastructure and the fabric of emergency response. Um, especially in communities where local governments have decided, you know, we like to do private-public partnerships, which is extremely common across the United States, extremely common in the territories that we cover as well, um, in our rural communities, um, in our urban communities where local governments have indicated, you know, we would like a private-public partnership to assist us. Um, however, when regulation comes out, and, and most notably now in this stimulus funding, um, it's absent of uh, direct funding going to private ambulance. It either has to go through a state or local governing body that then you have to make application for. Um, we're not even uh, eligible to go through for FEMA directly. Um, you either have to go through some type of partnership, and then it's at best the interpretation that happens at the governmental thinking that they still cannot support um, private EMS. So I'm glad you're having this conversation today because it's, it, it's 
it has really reared its head in right. this public health emergency regarding this. And I got to tell you, I mean, this is the time. If we don't get this addressed now, it'll never be addressed, right? So I, I think my first question to you, and I know that you're very experienced in this topic. You know, you're very active in the American Ambulance Association. You know, you're a member of the U.S. Department of Transportation, Air Ambulance, and Patient Billing. I mean, so you're, you're in the middle of all this thing. I think just from your expertise, please help the listeners understand why is private EMS on the outside always almost trying to keep their hands out you know, for being recognized at these times. I, I think it too just it goes back to how this was all set up many, many, many years ago. And uh, and EMS being a part of the National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration or NHTSA. Um, and typically it came out of the public safety arm. And so a lot of individuals think EMS is it coincides or equals what fire, police, and EMS is what a lot of people think of as a public safety arm. A lot of individuals back in time before reimbursement even began to happen thought it was paid for by tax dollars and things began to work over the last time. I said a lot of times it's just it's innate within our society when they think first responder, they automatically think government, I've got some governmental source and don't realize that over time that has morphed into private-public partnerships. Um, and so private EMS has gotten left out. Um, you mentioned earlier about the, the, the PSOB or the, pay, the, the safety officer benefit. If someone dies, that is only a benefit for governmental first responders. Um, we tried initially as an industry and private EMS. Politics got involved, and unfortunately, private EMS was carved out. Um, and that's what we're seeing here as well. And this is the time and the window of opportunity that EMS has, especially through private-public partnerships and private EMS being involved. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a paramedic or an EMT that works for a governmental entity or a private entity. We are all responders. We're all responding in this public health emergency. They're all putting their life in danger for this COVID response. It doesn't matter what the title is or who your employer is. It is all EMS. And this is what comes down to the bottom line. I mean, we're not talking about organization. We're not talking about corporation. You know, we're talking about the providers who are going to lose their jobs because uh, medium-sized, small-sized EMS agencies will go out of business because they can't afford to absorb, you know, this money that they're having to spend on uh, PPE and, and all the things that they need to prepare for this COVID-19 pandemic. Number two, they're losing, you know, the opportunity of reimbursement because, you know, they're not doing interfacility transfers. People aren't going to the hospital as much as they were. So now, you know, transports are down, reimbursement is down. Now, on top of that, they're spending all this money. People are going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their opportunity to, to feed their families. But more importantly, the communities that you guys are in who are really, you know, uh, have been uh, um, the benefit of your service for, for years and years are not going to have ambulance service. And I think that that's what's being missed here. It's not about the corporation. It's about what happens downstream when the corporation can't pay the bills. And you are exactly correct. And this is a conversation that we were having with a few senators just yesterday. Because um, as, as, as many of the, as the, the listeners here may not be aware, but Acadian in Louisiana alone, we cover 80% of the state. We do 911 
and non-emergency in a facility for 80% of the state. And none of the same protections are being given, first of all, in this Paycheck Protection Program. This arbitrary number that they came up with that was if you have 500 employees or less for the forgiveness loans. Um, from our reconnaissance and discussions that we've been having with several of the key committees of jurisdiction, it was almost an arbitrary number that they came up with. Um, nobody really even thought about the ambulance provider community. So while some of the private ambulance services do qualify for that, the majority that cover a lot of the lives do not. And the affiliation agreements that were set up for that to happen, for instance, because you have several sites everywhere across the state of Louisiana, across Texas, Tennessee, a lot of our markets that we operate in, because of that affiliation and you weren't carved out like retail and the food industry was, um, for instance, Ruth Chris gets the provider protection program. But the ambulance agencies that employ 510 employees do not. Now, now, when we're talking about first responders on the front line and protecting the fabric of 911, what would happen if this doesn't uptick? Everybody's volumes are down 40 and 50 percent. We were having, we, we convened a panel yesterday of the of very large, medium-sized, and small private ambulance services yesterday just talking about if we don't get relief, there are some that have already taken advantage of the accelerated Medicare payment program to try to infuse cash into their system. Some of them have provider the, the paycheck protection to try to keep their um, uh, uh, individuals employed on the front line, but several of them are four to five weeks out of having to shutter their doors in their community. Yeah. Gonna backfield no, you're absolutely right. I think that, the, and again, it's just going to be the trickle effect. Uh, that's yeah. going to affect uh, homes, uh, you know, uh, households for EMS providers, as well as those uh, people who need the service. So, you know, you know, let me, I mean, your experience, you're talking about meeting with senators, you're talking about meeting with, you know, all the, the, the small and medium-sized private EMS agencies and developing this strategy. You know, and I think that when we talk about the, the you know, the big EMS uh, organizations, NAEMT, even though it's for the, you know, it's for the provider. This, this is for the provider. We need to start hearing from these leaders of how they're working with it. Certainly the Ambulance Association, certainly, you know, the state EMS, uh, you know, officials need to get involved in this. When, when you're going around and you're talking to the senators about this, how are they addressing it with you? What are they saying? So I will tell you this, though. There has been much more of a, gra a grassroots, upswell um, that are talking to their local leaders, to their local senators. There's very key strategies beginning to be deployed in each individual state. The American Ambulance Association has been very active. The National Association of EMTs has been very active. There has been some work that coordinated efforts as we begin to try to work on stimulus for. We're beginning to hear more about that. The first sign that we saw where ambulance providers were a part of the dialogue and the first infusion of some of this stimulus package um, was the HHS funding of that $30 billion tranche that happened. At first, it was reported that only hospitals were going to get that, that money. There was a lot of lobbying, a lot of discussion with the secretary's office. And so kudos to the Health and Human Services Administration, Secretary Azar, and his leadership team for making sure ambulance providers and suppliers were included in that first tranche. While we are very appreciative of that, it's only a, it, it, it was just a band-aid 
to begin to assist EMS agencies to begin to, to funnel to be able to continue to pay the EMTs and the paramedics on the front line. I mean, there's even other stuff that's been happening with governmental contracts that have been activated. You probably have heard about that, where they're recruiting EMTs and paramedics to go work for federal contracts that help with these epidemics and the hotspots where they are taking away the workforce from the local areas to be able to, to move into that. And so you're combating that as well on competing interests from the federal government when we're already having workforce shortage issues. Right. I could go on for days about this as we continue to talk about this. Yeah, I know. And I think that uh, I feel your passion as well. And, 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 and you know, you're kind of competing with me in this passion. And, and uh, I think it's really awesome. But let me, let me go ahead and do this. I need to take a quick break. I want to go ahead and uh, read a little bit of an ad here. And then on the other side of that, I want to ask you, what can we do to help? As your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Bountry has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Bountry partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated accounts manager will be your true partner, acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more to set up a new account, visit Bountree.com or call 800-533-0523. You know, I got to tell you, I mean, so as we as we think about the second half of the show now, the, my question to you truly has to be, you know, because you said it before earlier in the show that, you know, we're, we're, we're weeks away. I mean, maybe even days away from some of these EMS agencies having to close their door because they have no money to, to pay their providers. So now as we think about this from a career field standpoint, I mean, I think that we're doing a good job of, of trying to get, you know, the grassroots movement and kind of get everybody to, uh, you know, uh, you know, to get with their lawmakers to say, get us more PPE. So, but as a career field, what can we do to help the small and medium-sized EMS agencies to get what their fair share is so they can continue to provide, you know, the, the highest quality of patient care possible? So, so there are basically four requests that we are working on, not only as an industry, as a company as well. One is, and the issue that we've had an issue with getting access to PPE is that we are considered... We are considered a tier two provider. Go figure that out. When you figure out the first responder community and when you look at that, hospitals, nurses, um, different other healthcare providers are considered tier one. So anytime there is an access to PPE or what have you, that's where it's going to go first. First responders are tier two. Go, for example, there was a campaign that we did a few, few weeks ago that the American Ambulance Association did, thank you, that kind of shamed Amazon when we tried to go order stuff off of Amazon and PPE, they would not let ambulance agencies order PPE because you know why? We were considered tier two. And so that is the number one request that we have been working. We have been beating FEMA down on that. They've been pointing the finger maybe to HHS on that, vice versa. Just typical, in my opinion, things that happen internally to try to figure out why is that the case. Now, that has seemed to be opening up a bit. There's just shortages of PPE everywhere. FEMA, we really need to be able as private EMS to get access directly to FEMA. That is something that has to be done legislatively because that is, that is governed kind of by the Stafford Act. So they would need to open that up for private EMS to be able to go directly for public assistance through FEMA. 
Um, the next thing that we're really looking for is any appropriation, and we understand in stimulus four, it's going to be kind of a CARES two package. So a lot of the uh, funding arms that they've already opened up regarding is just going to put more money, a stimulus money, into those, those different buckets. So the appropriation that we're asking for is around $3 billion needs to be specifically appropriated to the ambulance industry. Now, we've got ideas on how they should disseminate those funds, but it should be proportional to the work that you do for Medicare recipients, Medicare Advantage recipients, and God knows we have the highest uncompensated rate of any other healthcare professional that we do as an EMS industry. And by and far, for private EMS, uncompensated care is not reimbursable by any payer source at this point. That's just we are working craziness. on that as an industry. Yeah, that's just that's just craziness. I can't believe that. I, you're exactly correct. And so there are certain things that we need to have in this stimulus package. And um, there has been several call to actions that the National Association of EMTs is doing, the American Ambulance Association is doing, as well as others. Regardless if you're private EMS or gover governmental EMS, we all are aligned on that relief needs to be given to our EMTs and paramedics and their and those organizations. And different than most healthcare entities, the fund the funding from Medicare and Medicaid goes specifically to the agency. EMTs and paramedics are not what we call qualified practitioners to be able to bill any program directly themselves. So that goes through the agency and hence the reason why we're saying private EMS and governmental EMS, everyone needs to have the ability for the reimbursement to flow so those frontline clinicians, which we are clinicians, we are healthcare providers, we are not ambulance drivers, we are on the front line providing care and the only way to continue to provide those care, that care at a at a wage that's commensurate with what they do is you've got to fund the agencies that that provide that opportunity. Yeah. So is there is there any headway? I mean, so I know we're just at, you know, the uh, we're talking about the four things right now, but uh, you know, I think tier 2 to tier 1 is extremely important. You know, I think private EMS being able to access with FEMA is incredibly important. I mean, to to be able to do that. But when we talk about being recognized as providers, which gives us access now to bill, you know, CPT codes, and now when we start to think about getting getting off here a little bit, but we start to think about the transition to community paramedicine, that gives us an opportunity now to actually bill for those services under established CPT codes. I'm curious, is that is there headway being made there? Are we going to be able to eventually get there? Because if something that comes out of this that we're going to be seen differently as providers, I mean, that's going to be extremely important. Boy, Chris, that is such a loaded question. So I think if we can look at the treatment in place piece of the ET3 model that has been delayed until the fall, um, that could be very beneficial right now um, in this phase. It has been coordinated under the direction of emergency medical doctors and the physician fee schedule at this point in time. Um, anytime that we have brought up this and we have been working on the provider language, that was something that we tried to introduce in the last Congress that was met with opposition specifically because of the score related that they were under the understanding that we were trying to get EMTs and paramedics to be able to build a program for their services, which would have caused a, a, a score that CBO would have said would have been in the billions of dollars. 
Um, and so it was making the agencies part of a provider that could facilitate that reimbursement from their clinicians under the authority of their medical direction. Now, TIP, or the treatment in place process, which some people refer as treat and refer, treat and release, however the industry nomenclature, but most people are kind of going back to that treatment in place. If we treat in place, there has been an issue with CMS not thinking that they have statutory authority because ambulance is a transportation benefit. We disagree. We have been meeting with HHS leadership on that. Um, CMMI, or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, were actually had waivers that would allow for it under the demonstration program, but there seems to be something at odds with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation versus how the Centers for Medicare is interpreting this. And so the only way that we could even get something in place, even during this public health emergency, it looks like we're going to have to pass some statutory provisions and stimulus for to allow for that. Oh my goodness. Well, hopefully we get there. All right. I want to bring you back. You were talking about the four things that we could do, uh, tier uh, one to tier two, any appropriations, you know, we went there. Uh, what else do you have for us? Uh, the last thing is that we really want to talk through is hazard pay. You've been hearing a dialogue. Senator Schumer came out with hazard pay. You saw the White House administration begin to discuss that they would like to pay hazard pay. And right now, it is only available for federal employees, but they're really talking about making it for first responders and healthcare um, providers. And this is the same thing that we're talking about. When anything is ever done, private ambulance gets left out. So any hazard pay that is passed in stimulus force should include all healthcare practitioners and first responders, including private ambulance. That is extremely important for us to note here. So the same thing doesn't happen to the private ambulance industry and to our EMTs and paramedics who are on the front lines working for private ambulance, that they get carved out very similar to what happened with the patient safety officer's benefit and that death benefit that was passed and they were carved out and left out. This is the same thing that we need to ensure happens with any hazard pay. And that, that, that needs to be a mobilizing message that you are speaking with your senators and congressmen in your local area as well. That any discussion that they have here and fix that they do for the hazard pay in this stimulus for includes all healthcare practitioners, whether you work for a governmental, nonprofit, or for profit private ambulance entity. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, we are truly living history right now because of this pandemic. Not only from a healthcare standpoint, but from an everyday, uh, you know, Joe the plumber standpoint, and it's amazing that in this time of uh, a contagious virus that has the ability to take people's lives, that we're having to talk about something that's so important that it seems to be so menial to the people who are making the rules, and that just surprises me that we have to sit here and have this discussion that we're not being treated the same and that uh, this has the ability to affect so many people's lives. It, it, it's just amazing to me that, uh, you know, this, this isn't a bigger care to the people who are, um, you know, sent to Washington, the sent to the state levels to, uh, you know, make the difference for us. Uh, to me, it just doesn't make sense. To me, it just, it, it sounds like common sense. I could say something, but because we're in an interview, sometimes, you know, when we think common sense, uh, and I, I know this is a pandemic of 
epic proportions that nobody really in our lifetime has really ever experienced. So usually when you're going through a health emergency or a disaster, it's usually kind of regionalized, localized. Um, but really to, to, to go across the United States, I understand, and there is so many economic concerns and business concerns. Um, so I don't want to be too hard on our, our politicians that are really working hard because a lot of them have been so open to the concerns that we have and the understanding that we have and working through all of this noise. But there are very key things that they can do to help give relief to this industry pretty quickly without having to go through all of the red tape that is being designed um, as they push the money to state and local government and the guidance that they're giving. We need specific guidance that covers ambulance agencies, which goes into the fact of addressing that physical location for the ambulance industry and private EMS that we should be considered the same as they've done under the business concerns that are relative to the retail space and the food space. And so that would really help every ambulance company that provides services if they will, and this is something that we're working on for CARES Act 2, is that they will assign the national, the North American Industry Classification System Code, what they call the NAICS Code of 62191. That is a specific request, and it is specifically for ambulance services. So if you are in ambulance service, the same provisions will apply to you as they do to the Pizza Hut and the Ruth Christmas. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And uh, I just hope that uh, that's the way it works out, you know. And, and uh, you know, it's funny you bring up the Ruth Chris. I read that article yesterday that, uh, you know, those uh, those bigger agencies, those that chain store specifically, uh, got their hands on uh, a chunk of that stimulus money that now some of those small um, agencies, those small organizations uh, don't have access to. But I got to tell you, I mean, uh, like you said a few minutes ago, we can sit here and we could talk about different topics, uh, different uh, topics on this main point for the rest of this day. So what I hope from this pandemic, if there's any good that comes from this pandemic, it's that EMS is finally recognized, and not just private EMS, but all of EMS is, is truly recognized for the work that we do and that we're treated fairly in the healthcare uh, arena that we have allowed for decades and decades to permeate. And if it doesn't change now, I got to tell you, but I don't, I don't know that it changes ever if it's not at this time. You are exactly correct. It's the same thing that I've been talking to every CEO that calls me or whatever. It's, it's all lip service until we see action. And now is the time to be loud and proud about it because we as EMS are on the front lines that there's been many news articles. We've seen national media attention be get, be, being now given to paramedics. I mean, hello, on the time, the front page of the time was a paramedic from Empress, which is a private ambulance service that does private-public partnerships. That is a proud moment for EMS that we are starting to get the national attention 
in EMS, but now we need more than just lip service. We need more than just optics. We need more than just sensationalism in the media. We need our politicians to take action and recognize private EMS for what they do in all of our communities. And I got to tell you, I don't know a better note to end the show on than the one that you just gave us. And I've got to tell you, I appreciate the opportunity for you to come and uh, share this story in the next few weeks as we move forward in this pandemic. And as you get uh, more and more information, please promise us that you'll come back and share this message because it's important, not only as you're going through the halls of uh, the Capitol, not only are you talking in these meetings, but we have to be able to educate our career field on the, the challenges that you're going through so we, as a career field, can, can address that. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming and sharing this story with us. Thank you, Chris. And I got to tell you, everybody out there, I mean, I finally met somebody, I think, that uh, shares my passion when it comes to a topic. And, uh, you know, Kelly Grayson, it's like uh, when you talk to him sometimes, it's like uh, watching paint dry. But, um, you know, I think that this is something now that we all have to be up in arms about. This isn't just about you know, uh, municipalities and federal agencies and private, this is about our career field. And we all have to be able to put our hands in the air and say, wait a minute, enough is enough. So I want to thank our guest, Asbel Montez. He's the Senior Vice President, Strategic Initiatives for Acadian Ambulance. I want to thank you for joining us once again on Inside EMS. For Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalero. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. And we'll look forward to chatting with everyone again real soon.